Deadbeat Scroll by Mark Coggins is slick, sardonic, and suspenseful. Everything a great thriller should be, says New York Times bestselling author Lee Child. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. Chapter 4 Sugar Daddy Nate Schlein's startup was in an old bank building on Montgomery Street. An orangutan in a spacesuit adorned the double glass doors of the entrance, and the tagline, Keep Your APIs Protected in Cyberspace, was stenciled across its bubble shaped helmet. What to name a company with a mascot like that? Monkey Suit, of course. The name loomed above the doors in garish orange letters. I was there at 9.30 the next morning, feeling about as human as I had since I'd arrived in San Francisco, simian motif notwithstanding. I credited my improvement to skipping further in-flask conferences with old granddad and my decision to move from the couch to the Murphy bed in the Post Street apartment after replacing Chris's periwinkle satin sheets with the plainest ones I could find. I went through the doors and walked up to an orange Formica reception desk. Behind the desk sat a stunning blonde wearing a clingy dress with a deep V-neck. She gave me a smile that landed like a jolt from a cardiac paddle, and I thought, perhaps unfairly, that she would be the more obvious sugar baby for Schlein. May I help you? she asked. I sure hope so, I said. I've got some APIs that need protecting. She looked at me in mock appraisal. Don't take this the wrong way, but you don't seem the sort of man who would have APIs. Why not? Do you know what API stands for? Well, Application Programming Interface. So in order to have an API, you'd need to have a computer program with a defined interface. Do you have a computer program with a defined interface? Not exactly, but please. No lines about interfaces, interfacing, or exchanging of phone numbers. I've heard it all before. I was two for two on underestimating young women. Of course not. I cleared my throat. Actually, I'm here to see Mr. Schlein. Do you have an appointment? She'd been running rings around me up to this point, but the question was a bit of a tactical error on her part. It suggested that Schlein was in the building and possibly unoccupied. No, but I believe he'll want to see me. May I have your name and the company you're with? August Reardon with uh, August Reardon. Fine. I'll ask his admin if he's available. Thank you. I hovered over the edge of the desk, expecting her to pick up the phone. I'll ask his admin via instant messenger, she said with some asperity. She may not respond immediately. Why don't you have a seat? I traipsed over to a rocket couch situated by a glass coffee table. I sorted my fingers for several minutes, 
Then the receptionist slipped out from behind the desk and strutted over on black, pointy-toed pumps. I'm sorry, Mr. Reardon. Mr. Schlein is busy. This is his admin's name and number if you'd like to call to schedule an appointment. She held out a post-it with the information scribbled on it. That's okay. I'll wait until he's available. You don't seem to... She paused. He's got a full calendar today. It's very unlikely that he'll have any time. Thirty minutes, I said, smiling as sweetly as I could. I'll just hang for thirty minutes, and if he doesn't free up, I'll follow your suggestion. Now she knew I was delusional. Why, yes, of course, if that's what you prefer. She passed me the post-it note and returned to her desk. What she didn't realize was that I had a secret dog whistle for calling Schlein. The whole pantomime had been to establish that he was in the office to respond to it. I rolled onto my left hip to extract the prepaid phone Ivy had given me, the one she had used to talk with him. I brought up the messaging app and went to work, feeling inordinately pleased that I'd remember to abbreviate your. Hey, Daddy, I texted. I'm in your office right now. How about some sugar? I didn't have long to wait. About five minutes later, a door behind the reception desk cracked open, and a man stuck his head through. He was balding with big ears, a big nose, and eyebrows that desperately wanted to come together, thwarted only by some serious plucking. What hair he did have was dark brown with gray tendrils sprouting at the temples. He scowled when he caught sight of me and thrust his athletic frame all the way through the door. I stood and met him a few feet from the reception desk. Who the fuck are you? He growled, his face inches from mine. He was my height, about six feet one, but trimmer, and he was dressed exactly the way Ivy had predicted. Gray slacks and a mauve shirt with the sleeves carefully rolled up. I put him in his mid-forties. Your conscience? I suggested. Since when does my conscience look like an unemployed strip club bouncer? Since you started raping little girls? Shut up. I made a point of glancing over at the receptionist, who was staring at us wide-eyed. Sorry, should I have said date raping? Schlein gave me a two-handed shove. Get the hell out of here. How about I meet your wife instead? Let her check out some of these text messages. I'm not a particular connoisseur of dick pics, but you do have a flair for them. He stared down at the phone in my hands, itching to make a grab for it. Come back to my office, he said through clenched teeth. We can talk there. There's an idea. He led me back through the door behind the receptionist's desk and down a short corridor to another closed door. He pulled it open and stepped through, not bothering to hold it for me. I had barely crossed the threshold when he rounded on me, swinging for my head with a right hook. I was half expecting something like that and managed to partially block the punch with my forearm. He still connected with my left eye, knocking me into the door. We held an awkward tableau for a beat. Then I lunged forward to take hold of his shirt, and drove him over an ottoman onto the overstuffed leather couch that divided the office. Ivy's phone went flying.
We butted foreheads as we landed, my elbows forcing the wind out of him. It took every ounce of self-restraint I had not to beat him unconscious, or worse. Instead, I concentrated on pummeling his ribs and midsection until my hands were sore. Uh, Enough! Please! he gasped. I levered myself off the couch and stood tottering over him, sweat and saliva dripping. I was getting too old for this. Fucker! I spat and stumbled over to pick up the phone. As I dropped it into my suit coat pocket, I realized the seam in the back had split, leaving the sleeves to dangle well past my wrists. I shrugged them up as best I could. What do you want? asked Sline. Answers, to start. Where were you the night before last? He said something too soft to hear. I trudged back to the couch. His face had gone bone white, and fat beads of sweat popped from his forehead and bald pate like warts. His breath came in shallow pants. Again. New York. Business trip. Can you prove it? I gave a talk at a conference. But you know Chris Duckworth. He swallowed. Yeah. How? He came here like you, asking about May. May was the fake name Ivy had used on the Sugar Daddy site. You mean he accused you of sexually assaulting her and told you to leave her alone? Something like that. You sucker-punched him like you did me, didn't you? His eyes slid past me to the ceiling. What May and I did was consensual. I wasn't going to be blackmailed, especially by a little fairy like that. Yeah, I heard you're the push-up king. I bet all that training came in handy beating up on someone you outweigh by a hundred pounds. Just say your piece and go. I'm not paying, no matter how many guys May sends. I reached down to take him by the shirt again and pulled him upright. He flinched as the jostling aggravated his bruised ribs. Listen carefully, then. It's a three-parter. First and most important, Chris Duckworth was murdered the day before yesterday. If I find that you were not in New York, or you hired someone to kill him, you won't need to worry about blackmail. Dead men don't pay blackmail. Second, leave May alone. Completely. No more phone calls, emails, text messages, or dick pictures, or that phone goes straight to your wife, along with a full account of what happened at the Fairmont. Third, before you call someone a fairy, you better learn to take a punch, fairy. I shoved him back down. I went out of the office, down the short hallway, and out into the lobby. I walked past the receptionist with as much dignity as a man can have with the back of his suit hanging open and pushed through the door out onto Montgomery Street. My phone rang before I made it half a block. Gretchen's name came up on the display. I hope you've got good news, I said, because I sure don't. I've got interesting news. Let's have it. Kittredge called with the preliminary autopsy results. I'll tell you more when I see you. 
But there's one thing you ought to hear now. It looks like Chris had been in a fight several days before he died. He had an obvious black eye. Kittred said you couldn't see it at the massage parlor because Chris was lying face down. I brought a finger up to my own bruised eye. Okay, I just reenacted the fight, but I don't think it's related. Anything else? Yes. Chris's last client stopped by. You mean Ivy? No, I don't. That's what's interesting. You have been listening to The Deadbeat Scroll, a book the New York Journal of Books described as a glorious potpourri of violence, black humor, sex, and a hunt for a lost manuscript. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. <laughs>